All right. Well, just um, I guess this is thanks for for joining us. Um, I just uh, we had a call after the debate uh, with a few people who are around, and I know that people have some uh, uh, some some additional thoughts which are posting on the board, and I guess I've had a a thought or two myself, and uh, I was just wondering if uh, I guess anybody who wanted to uh, to start off uh, with some uh, thoughts, uh, I guess uh, uh, I I still find the uh, the call's worth it, but uh, uh, I guess that's uh, <laughs> that's debatable by some. Like the debate's worth it, but uh, I guess uh, whatever thoughts people have, if you'd just like to jump in now while I finish adding people, that would be cool, Rama. Alan, I thought you had some um, oh, great comments as usual. I like the um, the moving the bar thing. I thought that was great. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that was. Uh, do you want to just explain that to people? Um, I think it was a it was a really great insight. I hadn't thought of it that way, but I think that's uh, that's right on. Well, sure. Basically, what happens is the it's just an endless series of challenges. When you respond to somebody's concern, they they change the variables. It's it's kind of a, a three card money, you know, moving the moving the cups around, you know, kind of a a, a parlor trick. Right, it's like, okay, you cleared this fence, now I'm going to build a bigger one. As soon as you can't clear a fence, then your argument fails, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just throwing more obstacles in the way. Right, right. Right. I wonder if anyone has any idea why he didn't prepare. That seems, that seems really strange to me. I had a couple of thoughts on... His motivations, not specifically on why he didn't prepare, but I think it might be indicative of why he didn't prepare. All right, let's hear him. So, um, so, so you say that, um, um, if we, if we look at what Jan does for a living, right, which is to, Basically, um, catch politicians out in contradictions, right? Um, he's, uh, in one sense, um, attempting to, um, uh, I can't think of another way to put it, but bully the bullies, if that makes any sense. Right. Okay. Go on. And and so and and so that um, it, that's kind of uh, a Simon the Boxer type behavior, right? It's something you talk about in real time relationships is the the need to r- repeat these sort of um, scenarios in order to feel powerful, right? So. Um, what I suspect is that, um, in coming into this debate, um, he was, um, expecting you to be like that, right? Um, you mean sort of, um, with confused principles and premises like the politicians? Right. Right, exactly. 
And and I think you can see this borne out in the in the way that he questioned you, um, because you started out in your opening remarks right off the bat, um, explicating basically the principled approach to anarchism and the the need to consistently apply the non-aggression principle. I think this immediately defanged everything that he had loaded up to fire at you. And in his questioning of you, you can see this. His very first question to you is, what's your highest value, right? And then you answered him, and it was a decent answer, and there were ways he could have questioned you on that answer that would have challenged you. But instead, what he did was he jumped immediately from that to right to um, 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 gang and mafia scenarios and yeah, mafia gangs, right? So, so that tells me that he had he had nowhere to go with the principal argument, which is the approach he always takes against these politicians that he interviews right so so that's why i suspect that he came into this debate expecting basically an adversarial approach from you in which you had no principles because he wasn't he's he's not really familiar with who you are and given his history, um, it, it sort of makes sense that he would he would project an, uh, the, an ideal onto you of what he's already experienced in the form of politicians, right? Right. I mean, it is the um, it, it is the old Socratic approach and the old Socratic rule. Which is to ask people what their what their highest values are, what their values are, how those values are consistent with their positions, and all this, that, and the other. Right? I mean, that is the Socratic approach, and from Socrates' day onward, right, it has been a very effective way of getting people to almost immediately start tripping over themselves. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And unfortunately, he came to the one. Maybe the one, I don't know, I think the one, the one philosophy dude around who uh, has uh, answers to these questions. And I, I think uh, I think good answers. I mean, uh, uh, that's why, you know, the highest virtue is happiness, with, then consistent with rational principles. And uh, I'm actually thinking of adjusting that, by the by. I'm thinking of, uh, of, of changing that. Um, because I don't think that the virtue, the purpose of philosophy is happiness. Uh, I think the purpose of life is is happiness, right? Like the purpose of philosophy is truth in the same way that the purpose of medicine is health. The purpose of medicine is not happiness. The purpose of medicine is health. And I think that the purpose of philosophy should actually be truth rather than uh, happiness because you can have truth. Uh, truth being you have cancer doesn't make you happy, right? Uh, <laughs> but uh, So anyway, just by the by, I was sort of thinking about that. Uh, uh, um, uh, but that's why I put that, uh, that's why I put that in, if that makes any sense. Right. No, that makes sense. Also, in the context of what you uh, of the little 
um, mnemonic that you use of uh, reason equals virtue equals happiness too, right? Because reason leads you to truth, right? And truth allows you to uh, act on virtue, and virtue uh, gives rise to happiness. Right, right. But I think, I mean, that was a clarification I've sort of been working on for the last week or two, and that's why I put that up. Uh, uh, in, in that, right? Because if you just say happiness, then he's going to say, well, minarchism makes me happy, nana nana boo boo. Uh, and uh, that's, you know, a valid, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, it's a valid critique, I think. Uh, so that, you know, happiness consistent with rational principles, uh, I think is, uh, uh, is the way to go. And so because he, because he probably has never asked that question, I'm guessing, right? Uh, it sounded like he'd never asked the question, what are your highest values? and gotten a clear and consistent answer. And uh, I think, you know, that's partly because what we're doing here is a little revolutionary uh, or, or is, is, you know, mind-bendingly consistent, which is to say very revolutionary. And I think it was, uh, that, you know, if you've got your usual trick in a sense, and it's not like he's a trickster. He asks, I thought, in the interviews with politicians, he asks very good, uh, very intelligent questions. But uh, the, the, the sort of Socratic trick if you, if you come across someone who's got good answers, where do you go, right? That's, that's the challenge that Socrates didn't, I don't think, ever end up having to face because you know, the people he questioned were all, you know, wrong. Right, right. No, that's quite right. I, I, I think that uh, – and, and if we assume that he's coming at this from the mindset of, of philosophy, then it also makes sense why he didn't prepare – on, on the basis of content, because his assumption would have been, well, I can just work from principles, and I don't really need to know the details of your argument if I can, tear, if I can take you apart on on the basis of principles. And coming into this, he may have been assuming that of you, right? Right, like a mathematician approaching a chimpanzee with a crayon, right? Like, no matter what the chimpanzee writes, it's not going to be any good, right? Uh, or if it is, it's right. really accidental. Right, and that's consistent with um, the, the approach that he's taken with politicians, right? He knows that he doesn't really have to study their policy documents, for example, because he can just come at them from the standpoint of, is tax taxation force or isn't it? And... Um, it'll trip them all up, right? Right, right. Whereas uh, that is not uh, is not the case. But that, to me, asks another, and it's I think it's related to what you said earlier, Greg. There's another interesting question there for me, which is: Is it a trick? Right? Is this request for consistency um, from a object? I think he's an objectivist from an objectivist standpoint. Is it kind of like a trick? Because if he really is into consistency then he should actually uh, praise consistency, right? If, if consistency is, is a value, which seems to be the case in his uh, questioning of politicians, then I think he should praise consistency, shouldn't he? I mean, if I, if I like my omelet brown on both sides, and I finally get an omelet that's brown on both sides, I should say, that's a, finally, that's a good omelet, <laughs> you know? Thank you. That, that's that's a good point. When when faced with someone who has, who who operates on consistent principle, why would he balk at it? I don't know. I don't know. I mean that that seems like contrarian, if that makes any sense. 
you know, like I ask questions that people can't answer because I like, not because I want the truth, but because I like asking questions that people can't answer. And again, I, this is not specific to him. This is true to a lot of people uh, who, who ask these kinds of questions from, you know, Socrates onwards. Uh, is level it that you up. like tripping people up or is it that you really value consistency? Leveling. He's leveling. If if that's the case, he's leveling, especially with the politicians, right? Um, and and this is all just speculation and psychologizing from a distance. But going after politicians on consistency is kind of a no-brainer, right? I mean, of course they're inconsistent. That's kind of what they do, right? You so mean it's going like boxing guides, right? Uh, right, or or like um, criticizing the garbage man for smelling like garbage. Right, right. Right. Um, so, I mean, to go after them in that way is sort of his way of feeling powerful in the face of power. Right. It's interesting. That's interesting. So then it's really, it, it may not be around the, the search for truth, right? Right, right. That's a possibility. It's certainly a possibility, especially in the context of what you were saying. You know, if it was the search for truth, then you would think that after maybe, you know, maybe give them a, 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 a you know, a bit of a break and, 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 and allow some time for him to kind of wriggle around in that whole what if sort of universe because we've all been there i know i have been um you mean this sort of what if this this or that bad happens in a state of society right, right right exactly but then but then when you actually say to him look this is this is exactly what the state does right and this is exactly what you fight against every day in your videos why didn't he say oh god that's right why well, or, you know, he could have said, uh, I agree with you on the consistency of principles, but I'm going to take a devil's advocate position, which to me is a perfectly valid and, and, and enlightened thing uh, to, uh, 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 to be able to, to, to do, right? So, oh, right. Uh, you know, to say, look, I mean, I argue this with politicians all the time, but uh, I'm going to take the devil's advocate position and, and question you. And, and that to me is, is, is fine. That that would have been a fantastic debate. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. If he had that kind of presence of mind, I mean, that would have been really challenging. Yeah, and and that to me would be, you know, he has two people who agree, one of whom's taking the devil's advocate position. Uh, to me, that's you know, that's showboxing, but that's that can still result in a damn good fight, right? Right, and and result in in some p potential for some. <laughs> insight and some realizations too right 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 so th that was sort of my take on why he didn't bother to prepare yeah and I, I, if you have you know this this asking for consistency and you i mean at least from what i saw in his videos he's kind of having the same conversation over and over right uh, with the yeah. politicians, and so you kind of don't need to prepare, as you say, because you can just ask them three questions, and they're already tripping over themselves. Right, right, exactly. And 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 coming into this, 
he's already sort of expecting that of you. Right, that I'm going to start tripping over myself almost immediately. Right, and I think that's partly why, too, why some of these questions and some of his responses to you didn't seem like he was actually talking to you. <laughs> you know? Oh, no, well, he wasn't listening for sure, absolutely. Right. Right, like like the, the politician he was expecting to get wasn't there, so he was just going to argue with the fantasy in his mind of the politician he expected. Right, that's like, it's like that um, that guy who came on the board and said, you know, well, you know, Steph said that that all governments are the same and each every government is as tyrannical as North Korea. That having been established, let's debate, right? And it's like, I'd love to meet this Steph guy because he sounds like a real ass. <laughs> I don't know who, who, who he is, but he sounds like like that's really not good, right? So Right, right. well, like, Jay like, did exactly... Have, yeah, Jan did exactly the same thing at the very end of the debate in that section that I highlighted in the post on the board uh, where he says that y- you claim that that the mafia is never going to try and predate on people, that nobody's ever going to have any disagreements, and even if they do, they're never going to result to violence. He completely and totally caricaturized your argument at the end as though he was arguing with somebody else. Right, right. And and that to me was a very important uh, insight for me, at least, which I thought I would share, which I think is is helpful if you debate this stuff. And I'll certainly try and keep it in mind in the future. And that insight is this, is that uh, anarchic philosophy does not deal with the actions of individuals. Right. That that to me is really interesting. Any more than biology deals with one guy. Right. Like the, the needs of one guy. It is a discipline, and therefore, and, and this is why I kept asking him, you know, when he came up with this scenario where some defense guy's son rapes some defense guy's daughter or something like that, right? Because I, I could not get him to to clarify whether he was talking about individuals or organizations, because it's very, very important uh, which it is. Because I think, and I, I'm not saying he was doing any of this consciously, or, or maybe this is just my, my thought about it, but it seemed like, to me, there was a kind of trap there where if I can say, yes, an individual will act violently, and then he says, well, if that individual is in charge of a DRO, then anarchism doesn't work because the DRO is acting violently. Right? It's It's conflating the individual criminal with the organizational structure of of DROs and that's why I kept asking him is it an individual or an organization because if you're talking about an organization then you're talking about principles right then you're talking about cause in fact if you're just talking about some individual then absolutely individuals can uh, you know can can go nuts and strangle each other and so on but if you're talking about the cause and effect of self-interest in a long-term institutional situation, that's very, very different, right? It's sort of like saying, it's like this. Can some guy go into a restaurant and open fire on people? Yes. Can that guy run a DRO? Yes. Therefore, DROs are violent. Right. right? And those right. are very, very different things. And I think that's, uh, I think that's important to, to remember. It certainly is important for me to remember. Right. It's like saying that medicine is invalid because people die in hospitals. 
Yes. Uh, well, no, it's, it's like saying medicine is invalid because uh, uh, a crazy doctor can strangle his patient. Right, right, right. That's a, yeah. and therefore medicine is right. But medicine is a process, or you know, uh, science is invalid because an individual can cheat his numbers. Right? It's like, well, or how Dawkins. do you know the individual is cheating his numbers because of science, right? Or Dawkins can't answer a particular question about evolution on the spot. Therefore, evolution is invalid. Right, right. So it's not looking at the long-term process, or the free market is invalid because uh, some guy might steal or cheat. Right? It's like, well. It's, it's because of people's capacity to lie and cheat that we need the free market. It's because of people's capacity to be violent that we can't have a state and we need something, something more flexible, something more fluid, and so on. And I think, that, uh, uh, I think that, that's an important insight to remember. Because that's... if you remember the, in the Badnarik debate, a guy started asking me, you know, well, some guy comes and kills my family. And it's like, yes, individual acts of great violence can occur, for sure, for sure. But we're not talking about the long-term theoretical organization of a stateless society, right? We're talking like some crazy, some guy goes nuts, right? We're talking about nutrition, right? We're not talking about a guy who has a brain aneurysm and strangles his cat, right? But shouldn't, shouldn't he be used to that, though, because of how much he's argued? I mean, I would think he's argued for the free market in the past, right? So he should be kind of used to dealing with that sort of uh, mixing government with individuals? I, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I think so. And I, uh, I mean, I, I think that, um, uh, I think if he were to, to, he may have listened or looked back on the debate, if he were to think back on the debate, I mean, this is, a, I just did a, a short video, uh, which is some of, some of my own thoughts. I just mentioned one of them here. It's, it's the scare stories, right? It's the scare stories, right? I mean, he didn't actually have an argument about why a stateless society wouldn't work. And it's, of course, very rare to actually hear an intelligent argument as to why a stateless society might not work. But his argument was basically, well, in anarchism, these absolutely awful things happen. Right? Absolutely terrible, awful, horrible things happen. But that's, that's actually not an argument, right? That's, that's just, it's an assertion, and it's, it's, it's fear-mongering, it's a scare tactics, right? Uh, and the, the ironic yeah. thing is objectivists and libertarians hear this all the time. So to receive it from a libertarian objectivist was surprising. Yeah, that, was, well, that was one of the first things when I got into libertarianism. I was uh, I read a bunch of books by John Stossel from 2020. Yeah. And his entire book is just is, is basically a dictionary of status scare stories about uh, what life would be like without the FDA or... Um, uh, I'm not sure, like, you know, nu nuclear power and stuff like that. There's just excuses for government, and it's almost like he's making an excuse for government, kind of. Well, it's the same thing, right? So a, an objectivist will, or a libertarian will say we shouldn't have the st welfare state. And then what comes back is not an argument, but the fear-mongering tactic of, so you it's want people Disney to die in the streets, of a, right? Uh, and yeah. uh, and that, that... It's a Disney... I'm sorry? It's like a Disney cartoon of a kid dying in the streets or, you know, like Aladdin or something. It's just like, well, this will happen, you know, or all the main characters always seem really poor for some inexplicable reason. Oh, right. It's, it's a Dickens movie. novel. It's not an argument, right? Yeah. And uh, I have a few more observations to add. Yeah, please go ahead. Um, 
The first is that even though people may come out and advocate the free market, they may not quite understand what that means or they may define it in a different way. Um, you know, after all, people like Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity uh, presumably support the free market. But of course, these guys are, you know, staunch statists. Um, in in the debate with, with Jan, uh, when you got to the part where he really wasn't paying attention to what you were saying, um, I've seen this occur quite a bit uh, in debates between uh, evolutionary biologists and creationists, where even though they're presented with evidence, you eventually come up against what's called invincible ignorance, where they're, they become impervious to any further information. They, they either uh, deliberately ignore it, or they, they don't understand it, or because it conflicts with their preconceived notions, they dismiss it uh, summarily. And uh, the last thing that I find interesting about Jan's position is when he was giving you these absurd examples about, uh, you know, well, what if what if somebody's in front of your house with a tank, or what if there's a submarine off the coast uh, that's going to launch missiles if you don't give them your money or whatever scenarios he had. Um, implicit in these scenarios, he he seems to think that uh, that having a state will prevent this. That that there's something there's something superhuman about uh, people coming together and forming a state that that can repel this sort of thing. Whereas people coming together uh, that do not form a state are can't do anything about it. Uh, so I don't I don't know uh, how he is ascribing to the state these these magic powers to just do away with uh, tanks and submarines. Uh, I I don't know what his thinking process is. No, that's an that's an excellent point, and uh, it's something that I was also mulling over. And I'm I'm trying to think of I I was trying to find a good you know one of those good electric metaphors that just drives the idea into someone's spinal cord like a glorious railway spike. But um, uh, I don't know I don't know actually what what the re, what the logic is behind that because and and Ben Narek has the same idea that we we can have this government with a constitution and and so on right. And Harry Brown had this idea of bind down the federal government with the chains of the Constitution like it's a, you know, like it's a physical thing. And then they, they say, well, the price of liberty is eternal vigilance, right? The people will be so motivated to control their government that they'll do what? Have tax revolts every 10 years, uh, stop paying their government, take to the streets, burn down uh, government buildings like – what are these? What are these people supposed to do? Write letters and have the guys with the guns go? Oh well, they wrote a letter. Let's let's do something different. And so this idea that there's this um, this this government that's going to inevitably want to expand, as Minarchists will usually admit to, but that there's this this amazingly incredibly activist population that is going to just encircle arm in arm, kumbaya, contain the tiger. Uh, all the time, but those same people who they expect to be superhuman government, anti-government vigilantes or anti-government expansion vigilantes who are willing to risk life and limb to, you know, water the tree of liberty with the blood of patriots and blah, 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 that those self-same people 
won't yank payments from a DRO they're getting suspicious about. I just, I can't understand that logic because it seems to me a whole lot easier to just call up your bank or go online and say, stop paying Dr. Evil's DRO because I don't like what they're doing, right? Uh, as opposed to uh, this other fantasy that, that people will contain it through some sort of massive political rebellious action. I just, I don't see how the latter is more probable than the former. Yeah, if people are that smart and that responsible, why do they need a government in the first place? Well, yeah, or if, you know, if people are, uh, if they're expecting the government to be restrained by the massive, concerted, energetic political action, anarchists uh, ask a lot less for people to contain unjust power. Don't do business with them. You don't actually have to lift a finger, really, to, to, to not deal with people you consider unjust. So superhuman feats of endless patriotism with the risk of life and limb in jail on the one hand versus sitting on the couch eating popcorn that's how the anarchist contains the state right he just doesn't uh, you know doesn't deal with them and that that difference uh, i just i just i don't i don't understand how i'm not phrasing this too well i don't understand how minarchists say well dros will just take us over when dealing with dros is voluntary but super patriots will control a heavily armed monopolistic government. Well, incidentally, aren't, aren't people that run DM, DROs going to be the same people who are going to run governments? So, so why, would, <laughs> why would the DROs take over but not the government? Right, right. Oh, there's the other argument I've made before, which is uh, I sort of say, well, what if, what if one DRO you know, just takes over everyone? Uh, and people say, the state of Dominicus will say, well, that would be terrible. <laughs> it's like, but that's your static position, <laughs> that a government has won and is in control of everything. So if the worst thing that can happen in an anarchic society is the very best thing that you're starting with, how on earth is your position even remotely defensible? Well, I think that's the differentiation between corporations and government. Like corporations are somehow more evil, but I'm not sure how. They never explain how exactly. I, I think that just comes straight out of propaganda, right? Because in, in every video game, in every apocalyptic movie, uh, future science dystopian movie, it's always the corporation, <laughs> you know, that, that is the big evildoer, uh, you know, from, from aliens to uh, Unreal Tournaments. Like, well, anything you come up with is going to be an evil corporation. That's, that's, just, uh, that's just the stand-in for what people don't actually want to really deal with emotionally, which is... You know, their status as citizens. Oh yeah, somebody saying District Nine was a huge evil corporation propaganda fest as well. Well, unless it's like Halo, where the government's complete crap. <laughs> right. But I guess in a lot of science fiction, uh, the government's usually completely useless, and the police are usually useless, while the corporation is just completely all-knowing and powerful somehow. And right. Right. I don't know if that somehow goes into the um, father-mother kind of dichotomy where if the corporation is supposed to be the father and the government's kind of the mother and you know in comparison uh, corporation would be more powerful at least I don't know well corporations are the new Soviets right or the new I guess they, they, they were the stand in in a way, between the Soviets and Al-Qaeda. Uh, and they're becoming more popular now because people aren't that frightened of Al-Qaeda anymore. 
so you they're know the new, the new need an enemy, man. right? Yeah, they're the new boogeyman, right? To scare you into running back to the skirts of the state, right? Were there the boogeymen before, uh, say, like World War One and World War Two? Like the robber barons, they were. Uh, it was I mean, industrialists back then, right? right. Uh, it oh, was right. industrialists who were the boogeymen back then, and then it became the Huns, right? Uh, and uh, then in the twenties, it was anyone who had sex, I think. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, uh, so so that you know, there always just has to be some some kind of boogeyman. I don't remember corporations being particularly vilified at the height of the Cold War. I do recall that they were pretty badly portrayed as boring. You know, the man of the gray flannel suit and, and all that, all of those Jack Lemmon movies where working in a corporation was con- kids considered kind of soulless and boring. But I don't think uh, uh, they were portrayed as, as, you know, evil in the way that they are now. I mean, this, I think they're just the latest, uh, um, the latest uh, group uh, to, to, to scare us with. So. Well, they were the ones making any, everything without them and the government of... Uh not been able to take all their money and waste it with NASA. <laughs> right, right. They were vilified like this back in the 20s and 30s, too. The uh, the, the political cartoons of the fat cat uh, uh, porkers in, in top hats, that, that sort of thing. Well, yeah, but I think, again, those would be more rich people and industrialists. The sort of faceless corporation is a pretty new... Uh, is a pretty new de- demon. Like, there's usually not a person, it's just the corporation. And you might get some sort of uh, weasel-faced guy who represents it, but you never really see the one in charge, because it's just been so abstracted, it's become a kind of uh, corporate demon. Yeah, like they the usually brother. portray them as a trademark. They usually uh, show you a trademark rather than a person. Right, or uh, was it Paul Reiser in Aliens, Aliens 2? Well, Aliens, the, the second Alien movie, where he plays that weasel. But you never actually really see the corporation. Uh, it's just this big abstract mammoth thing, right? And you get these occasional weasels, but you never really... There's no there's no personification in the like some fat guy with a top hat and a gold monocle or something. No, that's true. That's true. It's a different way of looking at it. But like you are they, right, Greg, because all the cartoons from the period that you're talking about, they, they do, they show, they show overweight men with those top hats and uh, wearing a suit or a tuxedo, you know, with uh, cash falling out of their pockets and uh, bags of money. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Now, do you guys think these, um, these debates are, uh, are, are worthwhile? I mean, they, they take a lot of prep, I'll tell you that. I mean, uh, I really have to, and, and I'm really, I sort of have a commitment to, to the listener's sanity, as well as to my own sense of originality, to, to really try not to use the same arguments twice. Like, I tried not to recycle any arguments from the, um, uh, from, from, you know, either prior speeches or podcasts that I've made or prior debates that I've had. I was trying to come up with sort of new ways of describing the same thing because I think it keeps it a bit fresher and there's more of a reason to listen. And I've, I've never wanted to be – I don't know why this is. It's probably some ridiculous psychological quirk of mine. But I've always really disliked people who use the same speeches over and over again. I, I've always really, really disliked that. I don't know if you've ever known someone like this. They tell you the same story and then like two weeks later, they'll start telling you the same story again. And they seem, or seem to get offended when you tell them you've already heard it. And, and I remember – you know, when I would listen to, to Harry Brown or, or even Michael Badnarik and people like that, that you'd hear the same sort of stories over and over again. And I just thought that was uh, not good. So they, they were a lot of prep because I kind of have to come up with uh, 
new material, right? Uh, you know, every debate is I'm telling you for the last time, right? Because next time it's going to be something different. And that's partly because I don't want people to be prepared for my points because if I use the same points over and over, then people will be much more prepared, which, you know, I think is, is a less exciting debate. Plus, it's not a very good winning strategy to have people know your game before you go in. So it's it's a lot of work to prepare for. But do you think that um, uh, do you think that they're worthwhile? Well, I, I thought it was going to be better than it was just because you seem to get along really well in that previous video. Or yeah. I hadn't had higher expectations, really, uh, because he seemed to um, know what he was talking about when it came to um, this, the whole point of government in the first place. I, I really liked his video about, is the government force or not? I'm not sure who that was with. And I also even liked uh, his video with Nancy Pelosi about minimum wage, wherein people or students were selling their... Um, labor for money, uh, but that was less than the minimum wage. But somehow that's different. So like he stuck to principles, but so I just thought the argument would be. No, I mean I think you're right. Uh, I I thought that it would be uh, uh, more positive. I I also thought that it would be um, more pleasant. If that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I definitely, especially getting towards the end of it, um, it's almost, you know, it almost kind of reminded me of a Republican talk radio for a bit. Yeah, and, and for me, like, if I can't be polite anymore, I just, I really won't continue. It actually reminded me of the determinism debates. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I, I think I think there's a lot of value in them uh, from the for, for for three reasons. Uh, first, uh, because it gets uh, FDR out of the um, uh, out of the dome, so to speak, um, and and puts and puts these ideas out in public where they can be um, exposed to. Uh, scrutiny and criticism and whatnot, and uh, in a real visceral sense, right? Um, and I think there's value in that. Um, you mean it's not like people who like these beliefs already talking among themselves, but it's sort of heading out and, and get, taking it on the road kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And and I think I think that shows up in what you're saying about having to prep for them, um, and and also in. Um, in the in the audience, kind of having to prep for it too, right? Because the the more you engage with uh, people outside of the, the community, um, the more effort has to go into keeping the ideas fresh and keeping the thinking clear and keeping the um, the, the logic conscious, right? Um, secondly, I think there's value in it. In that it helps to dismantle the um, the, the 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 stereotype of anarchism, uh, particularly as it's sort of um, sold by um, the, the 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 more uh, like um, uh, socialist anarchists as a kind of counter-revolutionary force 
Mm. Um, so the 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 I guess for lack of a better word, the brand of anarchism that we're quote unquote selling here is very very different from that. I think and and getting out there, especially the way that you do it, getting out there and and um, again for lack of a better term, proselytizing these ideas in the way that you do. It just really shatters that myth that we're all a bunch of recalcitrant, uh, yeah. anti anti-social hate mongers just looking to break windows and break legs. Yeah, it's right? basement lurking authority haters, right? Right, exactly, exactly. And and thirdly, I, I think there's value in it um, in terms of improving. Um, I guess the the uh, the science of freedom, in the sense that every time that you do this, you're gathering more evidence. Now, right, 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 and and the evidence to me is very interesting because the evidence is also, you know, why the short temper, why the resistance, why the ten, why the tension, why the not listening, why the. What is it uh, you said, Alan, uh, incalcitrant uh, in- ignorance or something like that? I mean, it, to me, it's also interesting to map what the resistance is to the ideas because there's no point being right if uh, if everybody just resists it anyway, right? So, I mean, to me, there's a, it's a very interesting map of uh, of the mind, right, of, of the mind of the people who, who, who just, you know, throw these objections up and get tense, right? Uh, because, because that's the real hurdle to be overcome. I mean... Uh, consistency with the NAP is, you know, I'm, I'm sure Isabella's only six weeks away from figuring that out, right? So I'm not too worried about that as as an argument. Uh, and there will, of course, in the future, people will look back in a hundred years or whatever and say, well, how could this even have been debated? You know, like we look back on, on slavery and say, how the hell could this even have been debated? You know, rights for women or whatever, right? And and it right. will be the case, but but we have to sort of find, at least for me, the most important thing is not to be right but to be effective. It's important, to, obviously, it's essential to be right first, but then to be effective. So to me, it's also fascinating to just see what I bump up against when talking about principles, and then, of course, to ask why, which is the sort of self-knowledge aspect of, uh, of what we talk about here. Right, which I think is a huge part of what was going on for Jan. Well, I think so, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, um, uh, and, and I think it was something that was embedded enough that the reason that I didn't release our prior conversation and the reason I waited a couple of days to to make a little uh, video of my summation because I had these great ideas in the summation that I didn't get a chance to talk about. But um, uh, it's because I was curious if he would sort of, you know, we've all had that, you know, we get hot tempered or, or upset or something. And, you know, we sort of cool off and it's the next day I say, oh my God, <laughs> what did I do? You know, you, you sort of think back on what you did the previous day and, and so on. And, and then you can, you know, write or call someone and say, you know, I, I think I was not the best debating partner and, uh, uh, you know, I'm sorry about that and, and so on, right? And, uh, and so I was sort of waiting to see if that would occur and it hasn't, which means that he doesn't have any problem with what he did, right? Uh, and again, I'm not saying he didn't, he didn't do anything bad or anything, right? But uh, he, he obviously does not feel that he did anything that was uh, problematic. Uh, right, uh, that, needed, that needed any kind of correction or revision. Right. So he's, you know, clearly perfectly happy with with what he did uh, in the debate. And um, uh, so so that, you know, I, I always like to to give it a little bit of time to see if that's uh, if that's anything that's uh, that's going to occur. 
Well, and and that actually segues into uh, a concern that was coming up for me in thinking about the value of this debate, um, which is um, given how this debate turned out, is it possible that there is a, a, a an outside limit or cap or um, rule of diminishing returns on continuing to debate? folks like this in the same way that there was with the determinists, with the, um, with the theists, with the agnostics, um, where you constantly run into basically the same arguments over and over and over again, and nobody's willing to look inward and ask themselves why they're continuing to ask the same utterly answerable questions over and over and over again. Well, I mean, I think that's an interesting question. And, and uh, you know, when I was uh, first starting out, at least, and had the technology and the time to do debates, I mean, I debated with, you know, people uh, who wanted to debate, right? I mean, you know, hey, you know, want to debate? Let's debate. I got time, right? Um, and, uh, you know, people, I think, rightly said, you know, that's a bit, you, you know, you're, you have a bit too much horsepower to just debate random people on, on YouTube. And I think that was, that was perfectly fair. And uh, uh, I, I, so I was happy to, 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 to chat with more experienced and, and uh, people, right? people who had some, some credibility and so on. But uh, I, I would not say that and, – and I don't classify uh, the sort of mutual presentation format that I had with Michael in, uh, in Philly. That to me was not a debate. Uh, it was just – you know, it was like – Two, two people trying to get your vote, so to speak, right? And they don't right. debate it with was each a other. Presidential, yeah, it was a presidential format. Right, right. And uh, so I don't, but, but I, don't, I don't feel that uh, uh, the quality of the debates uh, have, uh, ha- they've risen in terms of sophistication and, and, and language skills and, and so on. But uh, in terms of content, I don't think that they've accelerated too, too much in terms of actually engaging uh, with reason and evidence from first principles and, you know, with, a decent knowledge of each other's position and a good grasp of historical precedent and so on. I, I just, I don't feel that they've really launched that further forward. Now, I mean, I'm not sure that there is, you know, a golden debating partner out there. I don't, I don't know. I mean, but, uh, the, so the, this was why I was sort of speculating in that thread about whether it might be worthwhile to sit, just sit down and come up with our own as powerful as we can, our own defense of, minarchism in order to be able to pick through those arguments and see how they might be addressed in an anarchistic way. Right. No, and I, I think that's, uh, uh, I think that's good. You know, like, like that Stephen Colbert formidable opponent thing or have someone play the, the devil's advocate or whatever. Uh, I think, I think that would be a good idea to, uh, uh to just gather as many arguments together, uh, as possible for minarchism and then take them apart. But, I still don't think that that deals with, and I, again, I don't, I don't know if we can or, or even should. I don't think that deals with what I got or what I generally get a sense of is is the emotional resistance. Right? Mm. No, that's that's uh, that's quite right. That doesn't really answer that question. Right. I mean, yeah, like, it's not a lack of. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, yeah, like if you debated someone from Rockwell about I don't there'd be no emotional response there, but if you started to debate with them about Christianity, there would be an emotional response there, and that would be where you probably wouldn't get much headway. Whereas if you debated 
of someone about the existence of government, there's almost definitely going to be an emotional response. Uh, right, 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 right. Yeah, it, 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 and even when I first, I guess in, in 05, when I first started to, to get stuff out there, I was, I was still naive enough to be surprised at the lack of intellectual content in most of the conversations that I had with people. I was, uh, I was still surprised at that, which, you know, I mean, it's, you, you live, you learn, right? It's not like I had a lot of experience, but, um, of course, like everyone, I had a lot of experience of people claiming to be rational and then not particularly acting on that. But uh, I, th I thought, you know, within other communities, it would be different, but uh, it really wasn't as much. So, uh, and, and also, I'm not sure, um, I'm not sure how many people are going to want to, no one's going to want to play with me anymore. <laughs> I don't think, at least there's not going to be a lot of people who want to, uh, who want to, uh, who have that debate. I'm looking through the uh, comments in the chat window, and I think I have to agree um, with them that I, I, uh, me personally, I probably wouldn't be interested in seeing another debate with Jan. Um, he seemed to be getting, he was, he was becoming bellicose um, in the debate. He didn't seem very interested in, in uh, uh, reconciling inconsistencies. He, he, was, he seemed to be arguing from a, a pragmatic standpoint. And when it became apparent that you know, you wouldn't see things his way. Uh, he started becoming uh, belligerent. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I, I experienced that as well. And it's almost like he expected it to be the opposite. He wanted to be like many politicians in his videos, where the politician gets belligerent. And uh, I guess kind of already went over this, but it's almost like he wanted. Uh, you to have the emotional reaction and he's had people, you know, throw him out and steal his stuff, so we had to sue him and it's almost like he, it's almost like he desired that sort of outcome as, um, you know opposed to an actual rational conversation, which you're probably not going to get with a politician and he probably knows that he's not going to get that with a politician so, Yeah, I mean, I certainly do agree that it was sort of an interesting role reversal that I was arguing from principles and saying that the initiation of force is wrong and that taxation is force. And he was changing terms and then getting belligerent. Uh, it, it just, it seemed like a complete mirror of his uh, conversations with the politicians. But, uh, you know, there's probably some very murky reasons as for that, which we can't even guess at. But uh, I just wanted to sort of point that out. It was a very interesting kind of uh, uh, mirror to, to his previous conversations, at least the ones that I've seen. And did anyone have any feedback on um, uh, on what I was doing, uh, uh, or, or or anything that I could do that would be uh, uh, would be better or more productive? Let the fire and brimstone out a little bit earlier with people like this. Go on. <laughs> uh, I didn't notice you get uh, as fiery and stern as you did in your responses to Bad Narek until very late in the debate with Jan. Mm. And I was a little bit curious as to why that might have been. Uh, was, that, was that other people's... Uh, I mean, I'm not saying... I'm not looking for backup for your experience. I'm just wondering if other people had that same sort of experience, like they were sort of urging me to breathe fire a little sooner. 
in when, the. Oh. Go ahead, James. Uh, okay. Uh, when you, um, I can't remember exactly the 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 point it was, but the, when you did let out the uh, let out the passion, put it that way, um, it was. I mean, I, I experienced, and it seemed like a lot of other people experienced it that's, this way too, that it was completely refreshing and exactly what the debate needed at that, you know. Um, and earlier or not, I mean, I think it would have been more enjoyable, at least from, you know, our standpoint, but it might have been more difficult to go on for two hours. Well, it would know. have ended, right? I mean, that could only have happened at the end, right? Right. At least that's my thoughts. I, I could be wrong, but that's what I thought. It, well, he, it, mm. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that in the in the section where you were constantly restating and restating and restating um, the power and the potential of the free market and what it's capable of. I mean, you must have re- rephrased it like at least five times in that's in in his questioning section of the debate. After about the third time. I was really just bouncing my head off off the desk going, please, God, please, make it stop. Right, 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 right. I, I had a different experience. I, 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 didn't, um, I didn't find your answers or your responses to be repetitive. Um, I was actually becoming um, very uninterested in the discussion uh, as it progressed because uh, Jan was becoming uh, monotonous. So my, my attention was kind of, I was more perturbed from that. You were more perturbed that he was getting angry than the monotony of, uh, of the debate? Yeah, I, I felt that the, at that point the conversation was becoming unproductive. That, that, that he was... Um, he was becoming frustrated, and he was basically uh, trying to pound a square peg through a round hole. And there wasn't any progress being made at that point. Yeah, I certainly would agree with you that uh, progress was uh, was well to me. Progress was pretty much impossible once he wanted to herd me to the coast with with all of you. So, um, <laughs> so that to me was uh, um, was where progress wasn't was not going to be made. I do have for you is why not stop at that point? I mean, because that's that that's sort of been the rule of thumb um, in discussions with people, right? It's the against me argument, um, and this was in a sense a kind of against me argument where you know the minute he's willing to say, you know, I think you should be uh, packed up and shipped off to a reservation on the coastline, at that point you're not really in a rational debate anymore you're defending yourself right oh absolutely look i mean if i had been in a one-on-one debate i would have shut it down right there no question absolutely if i had just been debating with someone uh, in a private setting i would have just got up and walked away and said you know i'm not even going to pretend like if if, if your solution to social problems is to evict me from my house uh, and uh, <laughs> uh, drive me to the coast at gunpoint um, I'm not even going to pretend to uh, to debate with you. So that's um, but but this was a different environment, right? Uh, this was a different uh, a different situation, um, which was uh, people are going to a hear these objections that he comes up with all the time, and b may have these objections themselves. And it was a great uh, format 
uh, again, not knowing how bad the audio was going to turn out, but it was a great format to be able to respond to these, uh, these objections, right? Maybe it would have, uh, this feedback, but maybe it would have been a good idea to have like a pre-debate where you, you took some side like uh, arguing from principles about healthcare or something. Or uh, say, you know, like the common sort of immigration where most libertarians would argue on principle against uh, any sort of immigration that isn't government sanctioned. Maybe if you had different differing opinions based on principle to see how you reacted to someone who used principle and debate rather than just politicians who use, um, you know, emotions and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you're right um, that it could have been useful to debate another topic. Uh, the problem is that it it always slides here. At least been that's been my experience, right? Because if you say there should be, uh, uh, you know, and I, I think an anarchist, to to be honest, has to say not there should be no government regulation in healthcare. I mean, you can say that, right? And there's nothing wrong with saying that. I think, but but fundamentally, that's only a reflection of a deeper principle, which is the NAP, right? And so I think it almost almost immediately comes to to that, right? Uh, and uh, uh, and then you get defense, national defense, roads, or whatever it is that other people's bugaboos. Uh, so I, I, although I think it's right, I certainly would be interested in debating a more single topic with uh, with a minarchist or a libertarian. Yeah, I understand the uh, point of that, where because you'd be arguing against taxation mostly in healthcare, not that healthcare itself, or that would just be sort of like an argument about free market, I guess. Right, because if uh, because I think in order to be honest, uh, um, you don't want to mislead people into thinking that uh, the government should not be involved in healthcare. But the government should still be regulating the free market in terms of contract enforcement and all the stuff that minarchists say. I don't think you want to leave that impression. Uh, at least I wouldn't want to leave that impression. You know, God help me, for better or for worse. I just, I just don't want to leave that impression with people. Um, and I think that's where you'd have to. So you know, you could have to debate about healthcare with someone, and then you'd have to say, but. Uh, you know, the contracts with these private healthcare providers should never be enforced by the government. Uh, there should be no law courts and uh, government law courts and prisons and so on. Right. And then you just go straight into crazy land. Right. Yeah. And I kind of get the sort of impression that leaves because it kind of leaves people like, you know, kind of not trusting you because you're kind of going against what um, you would what directly what you're saying. So like I'm in an economics class in college and the economics teacher is really free marketed, but of course, they argue for regulations of products. So it kind of just makes me think, you know, if I knew nothing about this, I would be against free markets because they're contradicting themselves within their own argument, and that doesn't make any sense. So if you did that, you got to you still kind of some sort of other debate about other topics, not um, anarchism versus anarchism, that would go against your uh, kind of legitimacy. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want to just pull the rug out at the end of it. Uh, and we'd do a whole lot of agreeing, and then there'd be this huge disagreement at the end about the government, right, as a whole. And yeah. uh, I think that would be just unsettling for people in a way. I, I think it's, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know... I, I, as as a guy who's you know t terminally addicted to philosophy, 
uh, to me, just you start with the first principles and let things unroll from there. Uh, because you, I've never, I've never found it successful, or I've never found a way. Maybe there is one. I've never found a way. I've never found to sneak a way to sneak uh, the argument from morality in from arguments from effect. You know, like, well, we shouldn't have any regulation here or here or here or here or here. You can make those arguments, and people will never get anarchism out of that any more than Ayn Rand did, right? And, uh, and no matter how passionately they committed they are, you you just you can't sneak in a principle. Uh, from pragmatism. It just doesn't add up that way. But you, you can get very pragmatic solutions out of the applications of principles. But it just, the water doesn't seem to flow uphill the other way. Yeah, I, I agree with that. You come off as kind of uh, disingenuous, too. That was kind of my point. But also, yeah, it's hard when you're just talking about free market. Suddenly get. Um, morality out of that because people it would be like a 180 degree turn because people think oh you know this is something else and it's not that was kind of confusing yeah I think so yeah. I think so alright does anybody else have any anything that they wanted to share any other thoughts that they wanted to add to uh, uh, to this uh, topic I had a thought, and I'm not sure if this is something you can actually do, but... The Macarena? Is it the Macarena? Is that your thought? Close. All no, right. Let me limber no. up. Yes. Um, well, please, too. <laughs> Already done. Awesome. No, uh, it was... Um, I, I don't know if there is a way to go about this, but I just want to sort of throw this thought out there. Um... Is there a way to actually kind of suggest to people in some way to do some preparation? I mean, I know that you couldn't really – to do it like with someone like Bad Narek would be kind of – I don't know. I, that would, probably wouldn't come across very well, but I, I'm just trying to think because this has been the case for two of your debate opponents, right? Um, oh, they, more than like, two. <laughs> well, right. Well, I mean the, the two big ones, right? Um, the, the re recent big ones that have, you know, known outside the sphere, right? Right, right. Put, put, put it that way. Um, or the dome. So, but I don't know if there's a way to actually do that or if it's, a, if, if it's like it's not even an expectation for people to prepare. So if there's a way to sort of approach debates with that in mind, it's sort of a two-part thought that I had. Right. If that was all at all clear. No, no, I, I think I think you're right. Um, I would actually be less inclined to suggest to someone that they prepare for a debate, and I'll mm -hmm. I'll tell you why. Um, I certainly do think that it was clear to people that uh, he was not uh, uh, not prepared. Right. Mm. I mean, I don't think like oh that, that he didn't. He hadn't read anything really about about anarchy, right? Right, right. No, that was clear. And and that was not a surprise. I mean, to him, because the the debate was anarchy versus anarchy, right? Mm -hmm. I think it was fairly clear that I had put a lot of thought into the anarchist position, right? R yeah, right. 
because right? I had, you know, understanding of, of the approach and uh, uh, good responses to the objections. So it wasn't, this wasn't the first time I'd heard these objections. You used to be a minarchist. I used to be, a, I used to be a minarchist, absolutely. Um, uh, of the, of the uh, sleaziest and foggiest kind of voluntary taxation, because I love oxymorons. But, um, <laughs> uh, but uh, so... so there, there. I mean, there, there's a couple of different things that go on in a debate, right? As you know, ninety percent of communication is is nonverbal, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he was not prepared for a debate that he himself had suggested several weeks ago uh, tells you a lot about the intellectual rigor of the minarchist, right? Right. 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 So. My, uh, you know, my my goal in a debate with somebody whose whose ethics I disagree with is is to win, right? I mean, if it's a mutual exploration of ideas with respect, then we're partners, right? Okay. You know, if I'm just if I'm just out playing tennis with someone and it's a fun game, then we'll you know we'll tell each other how to play better. We'll you know whatever it's friendly. But, uh, you know, if there's if there's prize, if there's a prize and it's my goal, then I want to win. Right. And mm. uh, I was uh, very keen to approach this as a sort of partnership uh, exploration. But, uh, you know, he pulls out seasteading anarchists. And uh, for me, I now want to win. Right. 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 And uh, that, there was a bit of a hint of that in the previous week where he called up and wanted to discuss all this stuff on, on a call-in show, and, which, you know, just seemed a little odd to me. And that was, you know, something that I, I mulled over and sort of came to a variety of conclusions about. But I think if I, if I tell people to prepare, then I'm not letting them be who they are in, in the debate. Hmm. Okay. Okay, uh, that makes sense. I'm not. I'm not letting them be authentically who they are in the debate. I'm. I'm. I'm faking it in a way. Well, you, yeah. You're. You're. Um, in a way, that would be preemptively raising their shields, right? Raising their defenses if they, you know, if they have them, which, if they're minarchists, they almost certainly do. Right, and I mean, I had this a, a very similar debate. Uh, in fact, the exact same topic. Uh, a debate publicly available for free with with uh, Badnarik, where a lot of these topics came up, right? Right, right. So, if 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 he if he can't be asked to uh, to uh, to to skim that at least or or whatever, right? Uh, you know, pick up a copy of, of a free copy of of you know Everyday Anarchy and listen to it in two hours, right? Um, if, if, if he can't be bothered to do that, then uh, that comes across, I think, very clearly and speaks to the intellectual rigor of, uh, of each person, right? And, and what it does is it speaks to the humility of each person, right? I mean, the reason that I do a lot of prep for debates is because I'm not sure of um, my knowledge, right? Because mm. I'm, I'm humble, right? I, you know, I need to learn. Yeah, yeah, no, that no, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, as as you were sort of uh, describing it, it, it occurred to me, you know, the, the parallel, which really is, you know, a very good parallel between, you know, creationists and evolution, you know, evolutionary science, where the creationists, you know, they don't prepare, you know, and and 
if there was to be an actual debate over knowledge, you know, a meeting of minds, as it were, you know, then that would be. They they would they would take the time to learn, you know, the other side and actually have a, a debate of sorts. But in a way, there's kind of no possibility for an actual debate in that sense. I mean, just from terms of how wrong or not even wrong religion is, but um, if that if it all makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. And um, all of that stuff gets really, really clearly communicated in these um, in these kinds of conversations, right? You know, the, the first person to temper generally loses. Uh, if somebody right. is provoked for a long time and doesn't express any temper, then, you know, I think that's not, not productive. I mean, I'm not faking anything, but I don't think that's productive either. And uh, there's a lot of, you know, there's just a lot that goes on in these kinds of conversations that, uh, and that's one of the reasons why I was pushing the video, right? And uh, for, the, for the video, right? So you get the body language and this and that, which, you know, I think, I think it's important. That's why it's been frustrating not to be able to get the video of the Batnarik debate. And um, uh, so, so all of those kinds of things are, um, uh, are really, really part of, of communication as a whole, right? It's not just about having your facts straight and being right, but it's about... Uh, you know, the, the ease of communication, the, the presence of mind, the calmness, you know, the, whatever wisdom you can, you can fake or whatever, right? Just that kind of stuff. And so if I, if I sort of say to other people, prepare, that's, uh, I think, not, uh, uh, I don't think that's quite as useful. The friendliness. I had a yeah, question. the friendliness, for sure. Sorry, go ahead. Um, and I carry, uh, Jan said something during the debate that I, I didn't quite understand or I, I didn't catch the whole sentence. But he, he said something to the effect that he doesn't agree that the non-aggression principle is an axiomatic starting point. He said something like it's not an end or it's not a means to an end, but it's an, it's an end. And I, I don't recall exactly how he phrased it. Um, does anybody else remember what exactly he said in that regard? I don't remember it exactly, but I do remember that uh, he said that the non-aggression principle is not an axiom because, uh, you know, I, I'm sure it would be something like, uh, uh, like, like property rights are not an axiom because we would all steal to stay alive, right? And the non-aggression principle is not an axiom because uh, we would all initiate violence in, in some particular situation, uh, if we had to, you know, knock someone over to grab a piece of bread because we were starving, right? And that's standard objectivism, right? That that life is the highest standard of value, and that which serves human life, and is is that which is the good, right? The good is that which serves and and a human life, <clears throat> and that's. I mean, I've done a video series on this, podcast series on this. This is my fundamental problem with objectivist ethics, uh, which is that it's consequentialist, right? That, like he says, Helfeld says, for the good of society, we need a small state, right? And, and that's where all these scare stories come from about anarchism. For the good of society, we need a small state. And, uh, of course, there's no such thing as society. What he's basically saying is, I want a small government, right? But other people want a big government. And how's he going to say no to them? Because it's better for them to have a big government. I mean, George Bush does a hell of a lot better under a big government situation than he would under an anarchist situation where he'd be a used car salesman, right? So the, the success of each individual, depending on their abilities to, you know, lie, manipulate, cheat, and, and whatever, are going to be very, very different uh, under different uh, social setups. 
And so I think he's saying that we have these sort of principles of non-aggression and property rights and so on, but they are subsumed to that which is best for man's life. Uh, and he says minarchism is best for man's life because too much government is uh, is uh, a totalitarian predation and too little government is anarchic predation. And so that which is best for man's life is uh, a small government. And that's strange. That's To me, that's straight out of objectivist ethics unless uh, somebody else has a better understanding. Well, it sounds it sounds like his argument. He's putting the cart before the horse, um, because and and to dovetail off of what you said earlier uh, about you know why why would you want to continue associating with someone who thinks that anarchists should all be sequestered into a camp somewhere to test their ideas? Um, you know what what is the point of having a any kind of relationship with somebody who who doesn't think that the nap is an axiomatic starting point. Right. Well, I mean, that's why I won't debate with him again, right? Yeah, I think he's I think he's confused. He he seems to think that you you have to violate the nap in order to have the nap. Yes, that that's that's standard minarchism, libertarianism, objectivism approach to government for sure. Well, just to be clear, it's not an axiom. I mean, it's it's a reasoned ethical principle, which is different. Yeah, it's UPP. I mean, NAP and property rights are the two the two foundations of of, of UPP compliant ethical theories for sure. Yeah, sorry, it's not an axiom, um, but uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's important. But I, I, it is it is a strange little twisty thing that they do with that. And again, I just I just think it's uh, it's um, it's a failure fundamentally. I think it's just a failure of imagination uh, in the same way that. You know, people who think that we can't live without the, we can't get charity without the welfare state. It's just a failure of imagination. And it's also a failure in benevolence, right? I mean, I, I really do, I mean, the people who seem to live in this universe, and I, I met some of them in Philadelphia, and fewer in New Hampshire, but so they live in this universe where there literally are, like, it's it's like this Catholic sin universe, you know, where there are these seething beasts that are restrained only by the thin blue line of statist violence. And they, they just seem to live in this world where there's just this massive amount of pent-up aggression. And the moment the government, if the government were to vanish, like everybody would immediately uh, just start drinking each other's blood and stuff. I mean, I, just, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get what kind of world that is. I really don't. Um, it's like when the stoplights go out, like when the... Uh electricity goes out for the traffic lights it's like it you would expect everybody to start smashing into each other yeah they're just going to start ramming each other they're going to start drag racing and i mean we had that a huge power failure here yeah it never happens everybody's perfectly civilized and in fact traffic moves very well when the power goes out with the lights well this was certainly the experience i had as uh as a kid in 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 my family so why would it be um, uh, unreasonable to um, to assume that uh, this is where that comes from? Oh, you mean like if if somebody had a, a lot of violence in their childhood that they hadn't dealt with, that they would sort of that would be projected in some way out into the world, and they would feel that there's this uh, pent up violence uh, out there or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Well, even in in more direct terms too. Um, uh, you know, when my parents left the house, um, all 
hell usually broke loose. Right, right, right. So without the restraining impulses of parents, the children are just going to run wild and so on. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it, it is a very common, uh, common perception. And uh, it just, you know, to me, it just goes to show how, you know, we simply can't be free until we're free of these particular kinds of illusions, some of which are definitely inflicted in childhood uh, and take a lot of work to overcome. But, uh, but, I mean, I think you could also see this difference, too, in that the guy who thought that the world was really aggressive was the guy who was becoming belligerent. You know, it's like, don't mistake the world for yourself, right? That's, that's the job one of philosophy, right? It's just know thyself, because otherwise you just look at the world uh, and you think you're seeing the world, but you're just seeing yourself, right? Right, and the guy who's criticizing you for wanting a world without rules sets up these complicated, um, uh, stultifying rules and then refuses to follow them himself. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, I mean, it's another reason why statism doesn't work. Right? Those who promote the rules don't follow them. Right? Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I, I really do appreciate that, that feedback. And it certainly is it's a very, very interesting, uh, to me, it's a very interesting topic. I mean, this question of what goes on for people in this kind of way. I don't think that, that uh, there's a lot of uh, capacity for productive reasoning in those kinds of situations. But as always, I'm, I'm really just, you know, using that particular kind of format as, as a stage to face uh, the audience, right? And to hopefully both show and, and say, uh, you know, a benevolent universe principle that I think is, is really important. Acting on your values. Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's, that's what they're for. So, Yeah, really demonstrating the principles that you live by in a real visceral way, too, I think. And I think Jan did exactly the same thing, yeah, yeah. ironically. Right, right, right. Now, just before everybody uh, bolts, uh, or I bolt, I guess, um, oh, first of all, I just wanted to thank everyone. I know that the podcast production has been somewhat low lately, but uh, I really do appreciate everyone's patience uh, as I <laughs> continue to hack through a variety of things. Uh, but is there anything that uh, is uh, is a yearning, burning in people's minds that they want, say, to run through the chattering ticker tape head of me uh, that uh, is uh, is sitting on the list of of gotta know topics? Excellent. I knew that was the reason <laughs> that I wasn't podcasting. Perfect. Well, are you wanting suggestions? Yes. Yeah, and look, I know I'm not, you know, this is just a question I have in general, right? I mean, nobody, I know it's really, really weird to put people on the spot. And, oh, yeah, give me your thoughts, right? Because we're just chatting about other stuff. But I uh, was looking for that, uh, uh, for that feedback. Well, um, hmm. Somebody posted something about RTR at work that I thought I've 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 been thinking about a lot. So one of maybe some maybe your thoughts on that, just where the lines are, where the boundaries are, and um, just your own thoughts on that. Not not a conversation or anything, but right, right, sure, that would be uh, that would be helpful. 
guy who the works around and do RTR work, absolutely. Just make a note of these. <laughs> the the concept of uh, negotiation has been popping up a lot, especially around this debate. And uh, I think it would be interesting to get your thoughts on um, on negotiation as a practiced skill and um, its relation to aggression and how the two um, uh, mix or don't mix? Well, yeah, I would say negotiation and aggression. Assertion, yes, aggression, no, but uh, okay, I will, uh, that's good. Uh, Someone came up, and I think this is a, a big topic these days because of the economy about working for the government, which I thought would be an interesting uh, interesting to talk about. Yeah, because at some point, as things progress, uh, either <laughs> there's an in, a massive increase in government jobs. I keep getting these people that that offer are offering positions in some state job, and I'm like, uh, no thanks. And um, I, I think that's that's where all the jobs are actually going, or to the government. So at some point, at what point, you know. Is everybody going to be working for the government and it's going to be... <laughs> it's just one guy with taxes for <laughs> like you would not believe, right? Right. <laughs> uh, somebody's asked, um, have you ever updated your estimate of when the government might collapse? Um, no, I, I, I think that... Uh, I, I, don't, like, I don't think the government's going to collapse in, in you know, the sort of fall of Rome where pigeons live in the, in the, in the streets or whatever, or in the houses. I don't think it's it's going to go like that. I think that the economy is going to go through a uh, a wrenching change, and that which we, you know, that which we don't uh, manage through nutrition, we end up going to the ER for, right? So uh, you eat all the bacon sandwiches you want, and then you end up with a heart attack, right? And I think it's going to be sort of like that. Uh, but uh, maybe I could do a little bit more on my, you know, really, really, uh, <laughs> you know, abst- uh, amateur and, and guessy thoughts about that. But I guess it was about. Um, Four years ago, I said uh, uh, 10 to 15 years, and uh, I think uh, uh, I'm going to, or five to 15 years, I said four years ago, and uh, uh, I think it's, uh, I don't, I don't think it's imminent, but uh, I certainly think that uh, it's, uh, it's getting closer, and it'll be a series of wrenching changes. I don't think it's going to be any kind of big collapse. I mean, people are, you know, the, the uh, livestock management techniques have improved enormously from the 20s and 30s and when all of this stuff went before. Plus, of course, the pool of wealth and the human capital that's available is much larger than it was back then. Uh, so I think there will be uh, uh, a, a series of changes. Uh, I've always been sort of interested in taking the time to sort of plot out how it might happen and just hold it up as a possible model and see how well it, it goes up. But yeah, I think uh, I'd sort of stick with my original estimate so far. Maybe something on the uh, collapse of the uh, fiat currency system. Like your own thoughts on uh, yeah, how that might work, right? Right, or whether you know if they if they end up auditing the Fed, whether the Fed's going to tell them the truth at all. Anyway, (laughs) of course it won't, right? Right. Maybe as a follow up in the context of the article that you read. Yeah. um, uh, Thank you, Mister Fed, but I don't think that "fuck you" is actually a financial statement. But I guess we'll have to take it. Peter Schiff, actually, Peter Schiff actually um, 
talks about this very subject uh, rather frequently. Um, he thinks that probably what will happen, he, he refers to it as decoupling. Um, the, the federal government borrows a lot of money from uh, China and Japan, uh, foreign governments, and he thinks that uh, what's likely to happen is that these governments are going to wake up and realize that they're never going to get their money back. And so they're going to stop loaning it to the federal government, in which case uh, the federal government will just, uh, you know, the, the printing presses will be on uh, overdrive and we'll have hyperinflation. Um, so he's um, he suggests investing in um, precious metals and overseas stock markets. I don't know anything about overseas stock markets, but um, I've been seriously considering you know, picking up some junk silver at the local coin dealer, but um, that's anyway. That's what uh, that's Peter Schiff's opinion. Yeah, I, I don't see hyperinflation in the U.S. Uh, myself. I just think that um, it's. Uh, I mean, the economic knowledge is so much further advanced than it used to be, and I just. I mean, I just I don't see it happening. I think that uh, there's enough wealth that the ruling classes have gotten away with that they just know exactly what's going to happen. Uh, if they if they start pumping out, I mean they'll they'll try right, printing a little bit more, but I don't think it's going to end up being sort of the way that that sort of article that I read about the French uh, history. I don't think it's going to be quite the same. Uh, it's too visible. It's such a it's such a heavily watched currency, uh, and it's so embedded in so many people's uh, uh, other other countries' wealth and 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 the bonds that they hold and all that. I just don't I don't think they'll be able to get away with hyperinflation within the United States. I think they're just what they're going to do is they're going to they're going to start slashing benefits to the weak and the most vulnerable in society, right? And uh I mean they're already doing it with regards to to schools and all that, right? They they're just going to keep hacking benefits, keep handing out IOUs, but I don't think it's going to be hyperinflation. I I I think what's going to happen is they're going to um uh, start hacking down uh, uh, so many uh, benefits that uh, at, at last, right, the uh, the sort of two generation experiment of the welfare states and its uh, and its all of its ghastly glory will be visible, right? And uh, I think that the libertarians and and uh, other people will will finally be able to hold it up and say, look, this is this is what happens to the poor uh, under uh, under statism, right? And and I think that we will start to be able to, and it'll you know be horrible what happens to the poor, but we will start to be able to actually say it's not a free society where the poor end up really suffering because we can see this happening now. Or the old, right? Or they'll be rationing or there'll be clawbacks in, in social security benefits or whatever. Uh, and uh, so, so my guess is that uh, it, there's just going to be a lot of clawbacks and that's how the government's going to sort of slowly fold in on itself. Uh, I don't think it's going to go hyperinflation. I just don't think they could get away with it myself. Yeah, you know, now, now that you mention that, it, that does seem like a plausible scenario. Um, and we're actually seeing it unfold in uh, England. Um, you know, that we, we've seen these stories coming out about um, the dereliction in uh, the uh, their NHS where they where they let they let people die in hospitals if they don't think it's worth reviving them. Right, right. Yeah, so, it's going so to be that it's, kind. Of, it's going to be a lot of under the table stuff. Um, uh, you know, the people's benefits will just be cut off, uh, and you know, then they'll they'll get mad and they'll go down to their office. There'll be lots of paperwork they have to. They're just going to stop uh, stop sending out the benefits. They're just going to and and then it'll be like, holy crap, right? I mean, then then at least 
uh, are, uh, are examples of, of how the poor suffer in the long run of statism will have uh, the, the, you know, the final, wish it were different, empirical proof that, uh, that, that uh, hopefully will we'll close the case. All right, but that's uh, that would be a, that would be an interesting it would be an interesting series of of podcasts about you know what uh, what might happen. Could I say something briefly about oh, the uh, the the one world government question? Yes, uh, I think that I had a, a breakthrough with this topic recently. I uh, I'm a recovering conspiracy theorist. I was the guy a, f- a few months back who was in the chat room making a fuss about FEMA camps. Right, right, uh, right. I come from the Alex Jones hard right, uh, you know, anti-UN fear world government type of uh, propaganda. Sorry, I'm probably not speaking nearly loudly enough for you. Do you want to switch ears to the other side? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Sorry, um, go ahead. Uh, yeah, so I... I I was just thinking the other day that it, it might actually be a lot easier for statism to collapse in the event that a, a one-world government is ever formed. They have no one to outsource inflation to. Uh, right, right. And there are no immediate alternatives. You know, if you give the state all the power in the world, then they can't really... Nobody in the state can say, well, we need to have more power in order to solve these problems that still exist in society. Well, they can't create enemies. Right. Oh, sure they can. They'll be all the people who resist one world yeah. government. They'll invent oh, space right. aliens. Right. 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 I mean, you know. remember when, uh, when nobody was invading Russia and uh, Stalin had all the power in the world? Uh, it just became saboteurs from within, right? All they just start doing is they start when things go wrong in the one world government, they just start blaming, uh, you know, the uh, the saboteurs from within and witch hunts and greedy merchants. Yeah, <laughs> the, 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 the anarchists that block traffic and break windows. Yeah, price right. gougers and all that kind of stuff. So, well, yeah, we we have that in America. We have the uh, the drug dealers or the illegal immigrants. You know, people you can't really place any blame on but you know it's just vague enough so that you can blame them for all your problems right i I mean i don't see i don't see one world government uh happening i mean i just don't see how it could happen with it's you know if if a whole bunch of mafia groups have nuclear weapons no one is ever going to emerge dominant it's just not going to happen i kind of see it as another boogeyman for the uh for the right to focus on because they don't want to focus on, you know, the real problem. So actually, I guess the left has that too in, um, you know, anti-trade uh, organizations. Or, I mean, yeah, like World Trade Organization. So both the right and the left kind of have that. Sorry, just that. No, that's, I, I mean, I think that's quite right. And I think even even more fundamentally, right, that the rabbit hole that that uh, I've certainly gone down is, you know, going from that thing is like, well, uh, these truths are pretty self-evident and they're pretty obvious. So why is it that people are so resistant? And that leads you back to their first impressions of authority, back to certain aspects of the history and so on, right? So it's that level of self-knowledge and introspection that I think needs to occur for freedom to spread. And uh, I think that the a, a lot of work is put into avoiding that, I think, by by a lot of people who um, you know, I just sort of blame them because maybe they just never heard anything different or better. But uh, I think that's partly what's being avoided with some of that stuff. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I was a Christian for 18 years, and that was the only real reason was because I never really heard any argument to the contrary. Yeah, I mean, I don't consider myself a bad guy before I figured out some stuff. Uh, it's just, you know, exposure is uh, is essential. You don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. The key question is, what do you do when you do find out? And I think we had an object lesson in that with this debate. Yes, yes, for sure, for sure, yeah, for sure. Do you, put, do you put your fingers in your ears and go, la, la, I can't hear you, la, 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 no. Pirates are firing yeah. mermaids at me. <laughs> right. Yeah, you, you, you find out who has uh, uh, integrity and intellectual honesty real quick. Yeah, well, and so I mean, we can, all, we can all not have that in the moment, but, you know, it's the aftermath that uh, is also very interesting. Well, well to me, the thing that really, um, that, that really drained away all my respect was not so much that he was uh, coming up with all these scenarios, but, but, but that he was implicitly accusing you of being a freeloader, implicitly accusing you of being a, a hypocrite, implicitly accusing you of being uh, uh, an aggressor. Oh, because uh, like uh, if I can, if you consume government services, then they can legitimately send you a debt, a, a bill, right? And you should pay that, like a, a plumber coming to fix your sink or whatever, right? Right, and the fact that you don't want to move to his uh, his um, anarchist camp uh, makes you an aggressor because um, you're imposing your anarchism on everyone around you. It, it was just sheer. It was a sheer load of projection. The whole, the I whole mean, thing from the very start, from his very first opening line. I mean, it. I mean, th those things to me really disgusted me because, I mean, he didn't even realize. It's almost like he didn't even realize that he was throwing all these like personal slurs at you. Oh yeah, personal. I, the guy doesn't even know me. <laughs> It's not it's nothing right, to do with me. Right, but that's me. what I mean. Exactly. No, but it, it doesn't have anything to do with me. I think that's I think that's where you and I differ, right? I mean, I think that uh, you know, just just between you and I, Greg, and other people listening, I, I think he got under your skin in a way that your dad did, because um, it's not personal to me. It's not it's not personal to me. I think he means the the tactic he was using, uh, almost like an ad hominem attacking the man that uh, was the. Um, what his his type of arguments were well yeah but i mean to attacking the man is hurting me to the coast right i don't need i don't need anything more abstract than that right i mean that's uh, and, and of course uh, there is a bit of a you know when when people use those scare tactics there's a you know you could take it as kind of insulting you know like oh right national defense i'd never thought of that <laughs> You know, like, like I'm so retarded that I'd never thought of how life could be without a government and, and never thought of, of how a country could be defended. Or uh, I'm actually keen on all of this bloodshed that's being portrayed as the inevitable results of a stateless society or whatever, right? But yeah, to me, it's, it's, nothing, it's nothing to do with me. It's just the other person telling me about themselves. They're not saying anything about me. I think there there is some sort of personal to it, although it's not about, I agree, it's not about you, but... Uh, like people in the army, if, if you are if you argue with people in the military about whether or not you need the military, they'll almost always go to the argument that, oh well, you're a, you know, you're a pussy and you'd never fight for uh, your own rights and you just kind of 
if someone came down the street in a tank or something, I guess, you know, you wouldn't try to defend yourself, although at that point it's kind of, you know, that wouldn't be very a good tactical choice, but the point is you would never uh, fight and I have to fight for you, and that just kind of sounds like something, you know, a father says to his kids where, like, oh, I defend you, so you have to do everything I say. Is, that's kind of the sense I got. Right, you spineless coward, you. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, that's that's not an argument either, right? It's not an actual knock on you. Well, but yeah, but it's 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 not, it's not an argument. I mean, you're you're a pussy. No, of course, it's, it's not, not an, an argument, argument, right? No, it's a it's a diversion. Um, and like I pointed out in in the forums, um, the, these problems that people can't figure out solutions to, like roads and national defense, these are these are logistics and engineering problems. And that they cannot figure out in their head. So they, they say, oh, well, we need a state. And then they start attacking you. They start making these implicit baseless accusations. Um, and it's to deflect attention away from the fact that they don't have any answers. Well, and, and I mean, fundamentally, I think when well, none of us have any answers about how this stuff actually is going to work. The, the question is, are you comfortable with, with not having the answers? That's a really fundamental, because, I mean, certainly in religion, they're not, right? Where did the universe come from? Well, fundamentally, we don't know. And that's okay, right? It's, it's okay to not know, right? But, well, you know, well, the by answer, people, I don't they mean, have to have that answer, right? But by answer, I don't mean that we need to supply somebody with architectural schematics and say, okay, well, this is how it's going to be done. Um, I mean, I don't know how to create, uh, uh, you know, computer parts, but we understand fundamentally how the market works. But so, it's it's with the implicit. I'm sorry to I'm sorry to interrupt. No, go ahead. Um, go ahead. Uh, it's just what you're saying there. Is, it's it's with the implicit premise that um, the state does know how to do these things, as if that's the solution. Like you've got no. It, the state there. the state doesn't provide the state doesn't provide an answer. It's not designed to in the minds of people who are status any more than God provides an answer. But what it's designed to do is to eliminate the question, right? How is the poor going to be helped? Well, the state's going to do it. Where did the universe come from? God made it, right? It's not to answer the question. It's to eliminate. It's not to actually come up with an answer. It's just to eliminate the question. And then so it's, a, it's like a lazy they attach people's personal to that. Yeah, to being lazy. Uh, that well, I don't. Like, I don't necessarily think that it's being lazy. Again, uh, this is you know my my particular bugaboo, which may or may not be valid. I would simply go to, go back to that person's childhood. I mean, you never get these answers usually from these kinds of people. But if I could, I'd just go back and say, you know, hey, when you were raised, uh, was it okay to not know the answer to things? You know, when you said I don't know, did you get? Did people get mad at you? Because if you have, like, if you associate not having an answer with aggression, then you're just going to make stuff up, right? But that's statism and that's religion. Yeah, I totally um, agree with uh, that. Or, or it, maybe, you're, maybe it was okay in your home, but what happened in school when... You didn't have the answer, right? The teacher calls on you. Did the other kids laugh school. at you? Did the did the teacher roll their eyes? Did they like? Did you feel humiliated? Did you did you have a negative experience of not knowing, right? Because if you have a really negative experience of not knowing at some point in your life, 
you just get to be real tempted to make up answers. Just as anxiety management, nothing to do with lazy. I mean, maybe it is for some people, but not necessarily. Yeah, I know. More along the lines of intellectually lazy, but not as in that person themselves, I wouldn't say would. Uh, that would be kind of like the same as saying that someone who grew up in a bad neighborhood and uh, has, you know, went, had bad schooling was lazy because they just, you know, wanted to uh, get money by selling drugs or something because right, they don't have right, that right. Money no, it's a good option. point. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good distinction. I think I'm, I'm sorry I went too far with my objection to your perfectly reasonable response. That's that's quite right. Sorry about that. No, you're right. I mean, it, it, it's you're right. It is intellectually lazy for sure, though it's not the same as an emotional flaw necessarily. Yeah, well, that goes kind of down back to the uh, criticizing someone as an individual, uh, like kind of like what Greg was saying, and criticizing, you know, you're someone through your own sort of bias. So it would be like if someone would call you lazy, then that would mean that, you know, someone had called them uh, lazy in the pounding. Right. At least right. that's how I kind of got it. Right, right. So if uh, uh, or someone else can want to say something. No, this is good. I got uh, RTR at work, working for the government, negotiations, practice skill, and its related regression, talking with atheists about anarchy, as opposed to the other way around. What are your thoughts on one world government? Are they efficient enough to achieve and achieve it? How will the system eat itself? What happened when you didn't know? You made up answers, God and states. Gods and states. That's oh, good. I, hey, I, look at that. I got a whole week and a half worth of podcast right out of that last 20 minutes. <laughs> on the one, on debate, the one that's... On that list, uh, on working for the government, um, I had a thought that um, that not just in terms of ethics it's bad, but it's kind of a divestiture of skills. Right, but you, you know, brother's got to eat, right? Yeah, but but at what cost? Because because you spend a year or two in that in that bureaucracy of of drudgery and paper pushing and then no no efficacy whatsoever and you're gonna lose a lot of your what you had as marketable marketable skills and sure i guess you know if you gotta eat then oh yeah no it uh, it definitely uh, you know could be considered a pretty economically toxic environment for sure and as um this might not be exactly uh, congruent to what you were just saying, but uh, imagine that, but just times a thousand in the public school. Okay. If you just think like one year of, you know, like if you had like a bad job for one year and just think how that would, you know, might, you know, for someone who hasn't thought about it, change their philosophy and how they thought about life and what they thought about, you know, people and how, you know, what sort of society or how sick must people be to set up something where you have pretty much just uh, mental static for an entire year. Think how much people think about that for 12 years uh, doing basically nothing. You know, that's how I think that's what I think about school now is, you know, any sort of intellectual um, 
experience really stands out because it's something. And I, I think I described them as uh, public sector jobs as roach motels uh, in a podcast I just did because um, because you check in but you don't check out because you get snared in with these amazing pensions and benefits uh, and you just can't can't get back to the private sector very easily because your your pay and benefits will go down. Right. All right. All right, well, I'm going to be a cowardly dad and slither off because uh, <laughs> Isabella gets up at god-awful hours in the morning. Um, I, will throw, I will throw a picture into the chat window if anyone's still there. Nice well, well, leaving now just proves that you're not interested in... Uh... Right. right. <laughs> you're not interested in more podcast ideas, obviously. <laughs> no, I guess that's it. Well, you know, given my output lately, this would do me for a month, man. <laughs> Can I send a picture here? Let me try uh, just going to a different browser. We'll have to find out where to transition you. Uh, I think that anxiety of not knowing showed up in this debate, too. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I got a little bit of a chuckle at the end there where he was demanding that you um, as a responsible anarchist have answers to all of his objections yeah and I, hey I'm happy to have answers but only if you're listening right <laughs> right right it was it was as if he had co-opted um, your point earlier about how you know when a when a defense agency entrepreneur goes to investors, he's going to have to answer a lot of questions, right? Sure, absolutely. So, so he co-ops he co that and says, well, if we're going to try a, a brand new political system, then you have to answer all of our objections or it's too risky to try. <laughs> right. But he's not even interested in investing. <laughs> right, Exactly. I mean, at some point you got to say, "Well, <laughs> right?" Well, you're not obviously not you're listening to. Sorry. Well, the investor is looking to make money, right? I mean, the investor wants enough answers that he's eventually going to, because he wants he wants to invest, right? Whereas this right. was not the case, right? So. All right, uh, I'm going to. Uh, if that's all right, I'm going to just shut this over down. Uh, you guys are obviously welcome to keep chatting. Uh, as you like, um, not with my server, but uh, uh, it was great chatting with you all, and I really do appreciate the feedback, and uh, uh, always enjoyable to speak with such a gorgeously uh, brilliant mind. So thank you. I really do appreciate it, and I'll talk to you guys soon. All right. Talk to you later. Good night.